Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, so I haven't seen y'all in two weeks, and um, it's because we got rained out, and then we had Thanksgiving, and so we were supposed to look at uh, David and Goliath when we were getting together two weeks ago. Okay, so um, we're at Genesis. No, we're not. First Samuel, <laughs> chapter 17. Real close. I was probably in Genesis as long as I've been in Samuel. Um, but so that's where we're going to start. All right. So if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. I didn't start this with y'all, right? Did I? Not David and Goliath? Chrissy, you don't count because you were here last year. So part of this is like a review. So you probably know. It. I did the very beginning. Okay, then I'm just going to summarize it. I'm not going to read it. Bottom line, what has happened here is that the Philistines... Uh, are encamped on one side of the valley of Ella. The Israelites are encamped on the other. It's not a massive valley, so they should be able to see each other's encampments. And boy, can you hear in that country. And so what would happen is that every day they would uh, get dressed, prepared for battle. They would come down and meet in the valley of Ella. And what would happen is a giant... Uh, by the name of Goliath from Gath, would step out. And by the way, he's called a champion. And that word champion in the Hebrew literally means space between two armies. All right? And so bottom line, what would happen is he comes out and says, mano imano. And so he is saying, listen, let's do one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat, because why in the world would I? we waste all of this good slave labor by going to war and having everybody killed when if we could just handle this mano y mano, then the victor will have all kinds of free labor. And so every time he would come out, he was somewhere between nine and 10 feet tall and, and with armor and weaponry, he was carrying about 200 pounds. So imagine that. Between nine and 10, some people think he was about nine, nine. And that's without his arm span. And so he was one big dude. He was carrying around about 200 pounds of weight. And he would walk out and start to talk smack. So if I taught this part, the smack is big time. Because he comes out and he is instilling fear in the hearts of the Israelites and Saul. That's what bullies do. So when you think about Goliath, think about that bully or that giant in your life. We may not face a man that's 9'9", but we all have giants. Whether it's some person, some pressure, um, some worry, we all face battles. And one thing about a bully, they instill fear. Because if a bully can make you afraid, they have possibly already won the battle. Think about it. Because if you are so afraid, you may never engage to fight. I've seen it. I was a teacher forever. I've seen how bullies operate. They make you afraid so that the, the one that is at a disadvantage does what? Turns around and retreats. 
they recoil. I remember one time when I was teaching school and this young man was being bullied and I can't stand when kids are being messed with or pushed around and I'll never forget. It's like the redneck came out of me. I don't know what happened, but I walked out in that quad area and I said to this young man, I go, hey, come here. And he walks over to me and you know, most of the time I was smiling, laughing, so happy to see them. And I got in his grill and I said, I'm going to tell you right now, you say one more word to so-and-so and it is me and you. I promise you I will win. And he looked at me and he goes, yes, ma'am. He never said another word. I'm like, yeah, that's how we handle things in Arkansas, right? That's, that's how it's going to happen. But the problem is, see, that young man that was being bullied couldn't speak. Why? He was so afraid. And so if a bully, if your giant can fill you with fear, then most of the time you're not even going to engage. And even if you do engage, you're engaging with great apprehension. Think about sports, right? My son in football, if he could get in your head before the play, he would. He could talk smack better than anybody I've ever seen. And I mean, I'll never forget this one guy. He was mean. Zach is mean on the field. He's pretty nice outside of the field, but on the field, I remember one guy had a gap in his teeth on the line. And I remember in high school, Zach kept telling him, I'm about to run up the gap in your teeth. It's happening. I'm like, I'm like, you are evil. That is awful. Okay. And, but here's the thing that's sports, right? Because you're already instilling fear because if they're afraid, they're going to avoid the hit. They're going to be afraid instead of catching the ball. They're going to be waiting on the hit. You guys know that. That's what bullies do. And so he would come out every day talking smack and they were so afraid they would not engage. I just wrote about this the other day and I thought through some of the battles, I listed them before, but think about the voices that we hear in our heads. Addiction, you're never gonna get over this. You will always be addicted to this. Your life will never change. It's always gonna be like this. You're not strong enough to overcome this. Your parents were addicted to it. It's in your genes. This is your life. You might as well accept it. What about self-worth? You'll never be good enough. Your parents didn't even think you were good enough. I mean, what, are, what have you ever been good at? All of these voices. You're not pretty. All your friends are skinnier than you. I mean, come on, look at yourself. You can't even walk down the block. I mean, we hear all of these voices that happen in our head. Rejection, this will never last. It's fun right now. No one will ever stay with you forever. It won't last. It's just going to happen again. Don't risk it. Or comfort, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't cause any waves, because if you do, you're going to mess up what you have, what is good. Finances, this will make you happy. You need that. That's going to change your world. Just charge it. You'll pay it later. Debt's no big deal. Or you've convinced yourself that, you know what, you're going to have to work till you die. Oh, my gosh, I haven't prepared for retirement. Does anybody else deal with thoughts that happen like this? constantly that you go to. We all face giants and they put, they strike fear in our hearts. And so one of the ways that uh, bullies, one reason they make us so afraid is because a part of what they say is true. 
If it wasn't, it wouldn't bother us. I'll give you an example. I asked Hillary's permission if I could use this example, but when she was in the third grade, she was bullied. And she was a little chunk in the third grade. And so uh, this one boy, um, I'll call him James, that's not his name, but um, he would make fun of Hillary for being overweight. And so at school, anytime she would sit down on a bench or do anything, he would act like the bench flew up, you know, and he'd fall on the ground and say, oh, well, watch out for Hillary when she sits down on the bench and, and just say all kinds of little rude things. So she came home so upset. And, you know, of course, I want to kill him. But I, you know, and I'm telling her all the things that a mom should tell her. Oh, baby, don't worry about it. Look at him. He's a squirt. He's going to chunk, go up. Y'all are changing. You're going to, you just need to be healthy and don't you worry about it. And you're so beautiful. And God made you, I mean, everything I can possibly think. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because part of what he is saying is true in the sense that she is chunky. And that's how she already felt about herself. She was already insecure. So he's putting his finger in her wound, right? I'll never forget, Doug handled this beautifully, honestly. And so we were at a basketball game and Hillary, we were watching basketball and, and the boy came in the room, in the gym. And so I go, Doug, there's so-and-so. And he's like, oh. So he goes, hey, James, come here, like that. And we'd known this kid forever. So it's like all the kids you grow up with in church, you know, so he knew us like, nobody's business. And he looked over there at Doug and he goes, come here. And so he walks over there and Doug goes, have a seat. I'll be with you in a minute. And he turns around and he kind of keeps talking. And this kid is sitting there waiting, like, what does Mr. Hoffpower want? Like, what's going on? Right. And so finally he turns around to him and he says, so I hear you've been making fun of Hillary. And he goes, well, uh, the, the, you know, this whole thing. And he says, Listen, a lot of times at your age, when you make fun of someone, it means that you really like them. So I'm sure that that's why you're doing this with Hillary, is that you're just crazy about her. Like, you just like her. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, you know. <laughs> and he said, but I just want you to know that, do you see that little girl out there on the basketball court? And he said, yes, sir. He goes, she belongs to me. And when you mess with her, you mess with me. And he looked at Doug, and honestly, I thought, you might be the sexiest man right now I've ever seen. <laughs> like, that, that is a great way to go, Dad, right? That was awesome. And so um, he goes, yes, sir. And he goes, and what I call him? James. And James, <laughs> you might want to spread the word to all the other boys so that I don't have to have this conversation with them. That was the strongest I'd ever seen. I was like, wow, that is so awesome. And then the next day, Hillary comes home and she goes, Dad, did you have a conversation with James? And he goes, I don't know. And, you know, because she, he goes, why? Because every, every guy at school today was so nice to me. And it was just really weird, right? And so I got to thinking about this. Listen, we all face things. We're all, we're all afraid, but we don't battle alone. That's the key. Because David did not go to this battle in his own strength. He went into the battle in the spirit of God, right? And so we do the same. And so don't forget that you too have a heavenly father. And guess what he says? 
I'm crazy about you. I know you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know everything there is to know about you. I know everything you've done. I know everything you are going to do. And guess what? I chose you anyway, and I thought you were worth dying for. So guess what? You're mine. And when someone messes with you, what? They mess with me. And we have to remember that because we all face all kinds of giants, and those giants instill fear into our hearts. I think we also talked about the fact that this went on for how many days? 40 days. What does 40 represent in Scripture? Give me some ideas. Okay, 40 years in the wilderness. What's another 40 you know? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was tempted. He fasted for 40 days. Okay, so... 40, whether it's days or years, typically in scripture represents a time of testing. Okay. And so basically for 40 days, their faith is being tested. Are they going to step out and trust God? And the part that just sticks with me so much is that they come out and for 40 days, they do not have victory, but they also don't have what? Defeat. They're just scared of it. And so they're stuck. For 40 days, they're stuck. They make no headway whatsoever. They come to the edge, and then they retreat. They come to the edge, and then they retreat. They don't gain any ground whatsoever. And matter of fact, who does? I think we talked about this. I don't know. I teach this all the time. I don't know who I've told. Well, let me tell you, because what happens is when Goliath first says, come down to me and fight with me. Later on, when they are talking about Goliath, they go look at this giant who is coming up. And so if we think that just by going and if, if we don't engage, well, we won't have victory, but we're not going to get our butts kicked either. Or we're not going to rock the boat. We can just kind of hold the ground that we have. Guess what? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen anywhere in our lives. You never just hold ground. If you're not going to fight for it, you're going to what? You're going to lose. Because if you don't fight your giant, your giant is going to gain territory in you. And that's how it works. Think about it. Think about our physical body. Over time, it deteriorates, period. And in case you young people want to know, I have seen part of your future, and it is ugly. Okay? <laughs> Things deteriorate. I don't care if you wear the same size jeans. It don't look the same at all, okay? Things start to happen to you. It is awful, right? And all of a sudden, you are driving the car, and you got chin hair, and you can see it as the sun comes in, and you've got veins that are happening, and you've got all kinds of stuff that's happening to you, and you're like, what in the world? Well, guess what? It doesn't get better over time. It gets worse over time, unless you do what? Fight it any way you can, right? You work out, you eat better, you eat healthy, you run, you do whatever you can because it's going this direction and you have to fight it, right? Financially, think of anything that gets better over time without work. Spiritually, definitely not, right? If you stop pursuing the Lord, in relationship, what happens? One day you wake up, you're not in the place where you stopped. Where are you? 
you have slidden back. You're like, how the heck did I get back here? Well, because we have to pursue. And so you think about whatever battle. I don't know what battles. But when you do nothing, you're not gaining ground. You're losing it. And it may be subtle. I think I said to y'all before, you know, there were times I just couldn't fix it, so I just kept the peace. And I thought if I could just hold ground, kind of this martyr syndrome, I'm going to take one for the team, and I'm just going to keep it all together. Well, guess what? At the end of the day, I didn't gain, I didn't hold ground. I lost ground. Because to be honest, I lost a lot of who I was. And I lost a lot of territory with, child, with my children and various other things. So we don't do that. We need to face our giants because God did not give us the spirit of fear. He gave us the spirit of what? Courage. He also gave us, he gave us the Holy Spirit inside of us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and he gave us each other. He gave us a body of Christ that can come around each other and help us fight those battles. And so don't lose territory. Let me see what else I got for you. The last thing, well, one of the last things about this is in order to engage in the battle, you better know your what? Why? Why are you engaging in the battle? Because you need to know the reason. See, in this army situation, Saul was trying to give them a reason. What did he promise them? Do you remember? For whoever conquered this giant, he was going to give them three things. His daughter is a wife, some wealth, and they wouldn't have to pay taxes. That'd be really nice, right? And so literally when David shows up, by the way, he shows up. His father sends him with all of these gifts. He gets there. He wakes up early in the morning. He gets there just in time to drop all that baggage and to run down to the front lines where everything is going on. And he gets down there just in time to hear Goliath come out and talk his smack. And then he sees all these men melt in fear and the commanders are reminding them why they should fight. Can't you see them? They're going back and forth. Remember, come on, someone fight him. Uh, Saul's going to give his daughter. He's going to give you wealth. He's going to uh, make you, your family not pay taxes. And David is listening to that and he's like, say what? What is he going to do for the one? Right? What are they trying to do? He, they are trying to give the soldiers a big enough why that they will go engage in the battle. Well, David hears this, right? And he is like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the living God? See, there's the difference. He knows his why. He absolutely knows his why. And his why is big enough to put his life on the line to fight. And so in our battles, you better know your why. And your why better be big enough not just to engage, but to stay in it. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I have not had very many battles that only took one stone. How about you? My battles seem to keep raging at times. And that's when it gets hard. Because after a while, when you get beat up enough, you kind of want to retreat. But you can't. You have to stay in it. And you have to keep the dance 
that you decided that you were going to do. And it doesn't matter if you get beat up because your why is big enough and this is what you're going to do and you're going to hold the course. And it's hard. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy will constantly test you to see how serious you are about uh, your boundaries or whatever it is you decided. And so your why better be big. His why was that he was going to defend the name of the living God. He's like, are you kidding me? Now, what I love is his older brother. All right. So his older brother, when he hears that, basically he responds like this. First, he treats him like he's totally insignificant. He says, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Why is he making David feel so insignificant? Why do you think? Because he feels insignificant, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, if D David is awesome. We're going to find out that he is incredibly wise and successful. And later on, you'll see that that means he knows when to speak and he knows when to keep his mouth shut. I don't always know that. Does anybody else relate? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if that older brother had asked me with a little snotty attitude, why are you here and where are, where are your few little sheep? I would have said, really? The question is, why are you here? Because obviously it's not to fight. Because if I'm not mistaken, you've been with the rest of these yahoos that have been turning around and going back for 40 days. So why are you making me feel insignificant? It's the same thing we all know. Hurting people, what? Hurt people. It is the same with Panina and Hannah. Why was Panina provoking Hannah and making her feel even more worthless and insignificant? Because she feels worthless and insignificant because she's not loved. And that is what happens. Um, second, he questions his motives. He says, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. Really? Does he really know his heart? Does this older brother truly know the heart of David? No. But instead, he's sitting there judging. I like this quote. It says, here he taketh upon himself that which belongs to God alone. And he judges David's heart by his own. Well, my Augustine say that envy is a devilish vice, such as wherein is found the venom of all other vices. So here he is. Let me tell you something. Why is he making him feel insignificant? Do you not think for one minute that brother has forgotten the oil dripping off of his little brother's head? He was there. He was there when Samuel came and anointed his baby brother who still smelt like sheep to be the next king of Israel. He was there. And now this little brother has shown up and he is not afraid and he's inquiring and this giant has not made him flee. And the mere presence of David is making Eliab feel so insignificant. And so what does he do? He turns his pain and he projects or his fear and he projects it onto David. That's what we do. It's our defense mechanism when we're feeling that way. We all do that. And so when we feel injured or threatened or judged, what do we typically do? We do it. We judge. We immediately turn it on that other person and we begin to judge their heart. And the problem is it has very little to do with the other person. All that other person is, 
is they're the one that reveals that we have an insecurity and an injury. They have been used to kind of show us that wound. And so, and it happens all the time. Um, and third, he was angry because he thought David was just there to rile things up, that he just wanted to see a good fight. Now, why would he be worried about that? Well, because if there's going to be a fight, one of the people who probably would have been in line to take on that giant would be Eliab, because other than Saul, Eliab is also described as very tall, very large in stature. And so he typically would be one of the ones who would have been chosen. I love what David says. Gah, this is hot power version. Who peed in your Cheerios? Like, dang, all I did is show up, dude. I just asked, could you clarify for me what the person is going to receive who kills the giant? I mean, all I did is just say a word. Actually, in the Hebrew, it really means, isn't there a cause? Like, is this not a worthy cause? I mean, have I said something dumb? Or is this a cause? And uh, the reason he was willing to do that is he, he knew his why. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Anytime you engage in battle, what should you expect? Pushback. Somebody always is going to have an opinion. Somebody always has an opinion of what you should, could do, what you, how you should have done it. Oh, well, if I was in that situation, I would have. Right? They all have an opinion. They're all, they're all, we're going to face naysayers. We're all going to face naysayers. We're all going to get critics. The thing I love about David is he did not allow this pushback or the naysayer or the criticism to change him at all. Do you know what he does? He looks and he, he listens. What did I do? And that's it. And he goes, all right, peace out. And he continues on his path. It does not change him at all. He does not allow criticism to take him off of his path. And I love that. I love what Brene Brown says. She said, listen, if you're not going to be in the arena, I don't care what you have to say. If you're going to be in the arena, if you're in fighting battles like I am, then I'm going to listen to you, girlfriend, because we're going to sharpen each other. But if you're sitting back battling nothing and doing nothing, and all you want to do is sit back and criticize, Talk to the hand because the face ain't home, right? That's what it's like. And he did not get swayed. Um, And Saul said to David, so Saul hears about it, what David is saying. And Saul says to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. That does not mean David is a kid. I don't believe David is a kid. I believe David is a young adult in this. And what he is saying is, listen, this man, this warrior, he's been fighting longer than you've been alive. So this giant is probably more the age of Saul, who should have been fighting with this giant. They are lifelong warriors. They have given their life to war. And so he is saying, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. This man is a seasoned veteran and he has been battling longer than you've been alive. But David says, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, 
and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and let the Lord be with you. And so I love this. He is like, Listen, I am going representing the armies of the living God the Lord of hosts, I have killed a lion and a bear. What he is saying is I'm going and I have stuff in my cookie jar, right? I've been through battles. I may not be a seasoned warrior, okay? But I have been through battles. And those same, in that same way, I'm going to face this. And you know what's interesting to me is um, do you realize that the majority of us Remember our defeats way more than we remember our victories. Do you realize that? I have never heard of victory therapy, but I have heard of trauma therapy because what happens is there, it's a fact in our brain that when we experience traumas, it impacts the emotional areas of our brain. We feel it deeper and you can call it evolution or anything you want, but because it, we feel it so deeply, right? We don't want to feel it anymore. We typically protect ourselves. If you think of that, like if, there, if we've had a defeat, we don't want to be defeated again. We analyze our failures. Why? We don't want to fail again. It hurt. And so by thinking about it all the time and analyzing it, it means those stick around. And that is why in scripture, God is always telling us to remember what? Our victories. He's always telling his people, stand up stones. Remember this. Remember what I've done for you. Remember these victories and these situations because we tend to lean towards the painful ones, the negative. And do you realize that science shows that if you deal with anxiety, that if you literally wake up in the mornings and one of the first things you do is do a gratitude journal, it will literally change what is happening in your brain. I know because my son has actually done it. He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you, I, that's, that's what I read. And he started to do that. And he's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but it, it works. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be anxious again, but it, it literally, it's almost like it just stops that thought process and it gets you back to what you are grateful for. And so he is sitting there and he is remembering his victories. And by remembering his victories and remembering what God has done in the past, what is he doing? If God can do it then, what? He can do it now because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so I think that's why it's so important to journal and to remember those things because we tend to sway to the negative. We tend to go to the fear and we forget whom we serve. And so David is reminding himself of his victories. The Lord has delivered me and he will deliver me again. Do you think the battles with the bears and the lions were just so easy for him? 
Do you think grabbing a lion by the beard and wrestling him down on the ground that he never got, he didn't have any scars? These weren't, I mean, I don't believe this is veggie tales. I don't think it's like, I think these were full on fight for your life battles that he didn't know at times if he was going to live through. And so these were hard. How many of you have been through battles that you felt like it was about the same as grabbing a lion by the beard and fighting it down? Man, I have. I'm telling you what, and you can get defeated after a while, but you have to remember your victories. All right, so. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed clothed him with a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. I have a lot of questions about this. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna, I have a list of questions in this Bible like you cannot even imagine because I want to know why on earth Saul tried to put that armor on David. It bugs me. There is no way if he was that much larger that anybody on this earth thought it was going to fit. Like if they were sitting here, we have eyeballs. Why in the world would he do that? And we can make it symbolic all we want, but it was not going to fit. And it doesn't, and, and David had never fought, he, he wasn't fighting in armor. He's like, this is not me. I haven't tested this out. I've never been into battle with this stuff on. And so, no, I'm going to go into battle like I've always gone into battle. I'm not going to wear your armor. But I just don't know why Saul did that. It could be one of two things. Either he has heard about the anointing and he knows that David is the next anointed king and possibly that's the point that he wants to slow him down and he hopes he's defeated just like David did with Uriah or possibly because David is the only thing that can soothe Saul's crazy, okay, that he doesn't want something to happen to him and he is trying to protect him because the only thing that can soothe Saul's craziness is the music of David. I don't know, but I have a lot of questions about it. Um, I think it's also another picture of the deceit of outer appearance. Um, I believe that it teaches us that we don't go into battle fighting with somebody else's gifts, right? We always want to be someone else. Why is that? Because there's not another you. So if you're trying to be someone else, there's a missing link. Because God gifted you with your gifts exactly like you are. And not only that, but your story, your background. Do you realize that all along things have shaped you and molded you and changed you so that now there are things that really only you can do, only you can relate to. I, I look and I going back over and seeing how things have impacted me and changed me and have changed my personality I now relate to people I wouldn't have related to before. And I know you feel the same. Only you. There are specific things. Zachary can now relate to mental illness like nobody's business. 
because he's experienced it. I can relate a little bit because I've dealt with such anxiety. And it's, it's so interesting how God uses each one of us. And I realized, I remember growing up thinking, I want to be Beth Moore. That's who, I, I think she's brilliant. I think all of that, that's what I want to be. And then along the way, you're like, no, I don't want to be that. I want to be like her in a certain area, but we don't need another one of her. We need something completely different. And there are people that I would be able to speak to that she wouldn't and vice versa. But we are always comparing. Do you realize I listened to something the other day that a doctor was talking about any area of unhappiness in your life is because you are making some kind of comparison. Think about that. Any area in your life where you deal with unhappiness, you are making some kind of comparison, whether it's comparing you now with what you were earlier. But there's some kind of comparison going on. And so David's like, no, I am not going to go into battle with Saul's armor. I'm going to go into battle like with me, with what I've got, with everything in my cookie jar. Um, it says, and the Philistine moved forward and came near David and his shield bearer was in front of him. Y'all, it wasn't just one giant. It was what? Two. And I'm going to tell you when David came out, that Philistine was ticked because when he saw who they sent out, he is like, are you stinking kidding me? They sent this punk out to fight me. This is an insult. Just the mere sight of him insulted him. And then he looked and he thought, my gosh, he doesn't even have a weapon. He has a slingshot. This kid just brought a sword to a gunfight. Like this is ridiculous. And it infuriated him. Why? Pride. And the more he angered, right? And he was livid. And I'm telling you, be careful with pride. Pride cometh before what? A fall, it says, in the Philistine, David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Talk about talking smack. That's way ruder. That, ruder is that a word? Ray, way more rude by telling someone I'm going to run up the gap in your teeth. Okay, that's rude. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, him you have defied. What did I tell you about that? The Lord of hosts, the one who opened up his mouth and all things were created from nothing. He's like, dude, are you kidding me? Reminds me of Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that said, really? All the people in the land are giants? Really? Exaggerate much? See, that's what fear does. Fear makes us exaggerate. Fear exaggerates all of our problems. And those spies said, there is no way we can go in and conquer the land because the land is filled with giants. And compared to those giants, we look like grasshoppers. And Caleb and Joshua go, really? I think you're comparing the giants to the wrong thing. They were comparing the giants to themselves. And when you do that, you look like a grasshopper. When you compare the giant or your problem or whatever is going on to the power of the almighty Lord of hosts, guess who looks like the grasshopper? David knew that. 
It's all about perspective. David kept everything in perspective. He knew he was not alone. He had experience with God. He had great faith because his faith had been tested. He had been through battles and God had always been faithful. He remembered that and he went into battle and he said, dude, whatever with your sword and your armor and your shield bearer, because I am coming in the power of the Lord of hosts. He knew exactly. He said, not only am I going to strike you down, I'm going to cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts. And he said, and I'm going to do all this. This is important because this is his what? This is his why. I'm going to do all this so that everyone knows that the Lord saves, not with the sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that all the time. Because as a three on the Enneagram, I'm an achiever. I'm a fixer. I can come in and make things happen. You give me a job and I will get it done. You give me somebody to love and I will love them. You give me a problem and I will fix it. I will use every talent I have, whether it's dancing or singing or teaching or you name it, and I will make it work. And I have just about killed myself in my life trying to be everything to all people and solve all of their problems. And at the end of the day, what? It comes up short. When what I need to do is stop striving to be the problem fixer and get down on my face and say what? Lord, I can't do this. She's a mess. He's a mess. I'm a mess. This is a mess. I mean, I'm making progress. I'm fighting the battle. I'm stepping out. I got my stones. I'm, I'm doing this. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is such a hot mess that if you do not show up, I, it, it's just, it's going to be bad. The birds are going to be eating our flesh because I cannot change a heart. I can't see a heart. I can't fix depression. I can't calm anxiety. I can't do it. I cannot do it all. And even if I could, I shouldn't. Does anybody relate to me or am I a nutbag, right? And you're just like, God, this is your battle. And sometimes I think he would want to say to me, Shannon, if you would stop and shut up and get out of my way, I got this, right? This battle. And so he goes out there and he goes in the name of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what, he threw that thing and it landed right between his eyes and he went down. And David took the sword of the Philistine and he cut off the head of the giant and he brought him in. I love, um, by the way, what Jordan Peterson says. If you've not read his book, you need to. It should be in your library Jordan Peterson wrote a book that is called The 12 Rules of Life, The Antidote to Chaos. It's highly academic, so if you don't like things like that, don't get it. Um, But it is incredible. And one of the things he talks about is he says, you don't make the world and its horrors smaller. You make people and their capacity to deal with the horrors larger. You strengthen them. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. We don't make the world safe for our kids. The world is not safe. We don't have the ability to make the world safe. So what do we do? We make our kids stronger. 
That is what we do. Um, if we don't ever allow our kids or anybody to face giants, they never learn, they never strengthen. They never have faith muscles. Bruce Lee says this, do not pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. And David put his hand in his bed. I already read that. He killed him. And we're going to move on. And I'm going to introduce chapter 18. Okay. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I love this verse. First off, I would love to hear the speech that David gave. Because David, wow. I can't wait to meet David. He had to be one fine thing. Because number one, the Bible says he was very good looking, okay? Um, like just, just good looking. Like just walks in, just a good looking man. He could kill a lion and a bear with his bare hands. So he's got me. He could protect me. He can write poetry like no other and play instruments. So you are talking about a man who's easy on the eyes, who could protect you at all times because he is quite the warrior and who has a romantic side who could sing to you and calm your soul at night. What a man. And he comes walking in after this battle, carrying this big old head and gives a speech. And I would love to know what he said, because whatever he said, when Jonathan saw him, he thought, wow, we are cut from the same cloth. Have you ever had a friend like that? That the minute you, were, you met them, the minute you were around them, it just worked. No effort. But you're just like, oh my gosh, you so get me. I just love you. And it just clicked. And you're like, it, it is, it, that's how they were. And it says that he loved him like his own soul. Literally, this is the epitome of loving your neighbor, what? As yourself. It was a friendship from the get-go. And I, I just love it. And the thing is, is they were, they were a lot alike. Think about it. They were about the same age. Jonathan is a little older than David, but not much. That's why David and Jonathan were kind of like sons to Saul. All right. They were about the same age. They were both warriors. Do you remember Jonathan? Jonathan's that one that, you know, crawled through the crevice, put his life on the line to start the war with the Philistines. He is so trustworthy that his armor bearer went with him to face this entire army with just the two of them. And when they got over there, they were like fighting like it was a beautiful choreography. They killed 20 Philistines and one acre worth of land. I mean, he is a stud. All right. And so they are very much the same, same age, same warrior. They both have incredible trust in God. Jonathan said, God, if you want me to go, I'm going to go. Same deal, but yet they're very different. How are they different? Well, their background's different. Their status is different. David grew up in a poor house where he was the servant. Jonathan is the crown prince. Do you understand that? David's been in the shepherd field. Jonathan has been in the stinking palace. And so they're very different, but yet they are the same in heart. Let me ask you a question. To ponder, who has more to lose by David being around, Saul or Jonathan? Saul has had his career. Do you understand? He's been king now for 40 years. 
right? He's, he's been through battle. He's a seasoned warrior. He's a great warrior. And whose job really is David threatening? I mean, Saul's yes, but Jonathan, right? That David would be the next anointed king. So really, if you look at it, who has more to lose, Saul or Jonathan? Who should be more uh, envious, jealous? It should be Jonathan. But instead, he has this instant connection. Why? I believe they are one in spirit, for one thing. It says, from that moment on, Saul took David in and would not let him return to his father's house. So now they have this instant connection and they are going to have a daily connection of friendship that is growing over time. This friendship is going to grow into something beautiful because in verse 3 it says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Listen to the difference between a covenant and a contract. And then we'll just talk about this and be done. In a contract, two or more people come together, each pursuing their self-interest to make a mutually advantageous exchange. In a covenant, two or more people, each respecting the dignity and integrity of the other, come together in a bond of loyalty and trust, this is my favorite part, to do together what neither can achieve alone. Okay? You enter into a contract basically thinking, how is this going to be advantageous to you and how is this going to be advantageous to me? In a covenant, we come together because we mutually love one another and what we are saying is, how can we together be advantageous to who? Everybody else. Let me ask you a question. If David and Jonathan had been enemies, what do you think would have happened in the nation of Israel? Those two, those great warriors, those great men of respect, I'm going to tell you what, there would have been so much mess if those two came at odds, but instead they came together in a covenant to love and honor one another for the sake of the betterment of the nation and what they said to one another, especially Jonathan, is that we are going to love each other more than we love the crown. We are going to love each other more than the crown. They were more alike than different. They valued God overall. And isn't it interesting that Jonathan's armor fit David? To me, that's beautiful. It's symbolic. We're going to talk about their covenant when we get back together. But think about this. Saul's did not fit David. That can be so symbolic. I could blog about it, right? It's literal in the sense that I don't think the size was the same because he was so tall. But David was no Saul. All right? Saul was all about outer appearance, uh, what was going on, what people think. He's reactionary. Um, and he did not have the correct position under God as the king. He elevated himself up. It's a hot mess. But here you have David and Jonathan, and that armor could have fit either one. I honestly think Jonathan would have made a fine king. I think he had the ability. I think he had the respect of the people. I think he had the heart, but he didn't have the anointing, and he knew it. 
And so he knew that the two of them together, that only one could be the leader. And this beautiful, awesome man stepped back and let the other be the leader, but worked alongside of him for the the betterment of Israel. To me, that is so beautiful as far as our covenant today marriage. If you think about that, it is beautiful because this covenant is that two people come together because they're going to be better and stronger together. You're not going to do that if you get stuck, especially in old roles and titles and expectations. That's why I get so aggravated about how I, I grew up with a lot of that kind of teaching. And over time, you watch and you think, wait a minute, that's not how it is. Here's how it is. We mutually submit one to another, recognizing that we're both individuals, that we're both equal in God's sight. We both have gifts and talents that are coming together. We both have an individual wick, but yet the flame does what? It burns together, this big flame. And what are you good at? What am I good at? Where do I stink? How can you help me? How do we work together so that together we're better than we are separate? It's not a battle. It is working in partnership. And the beauty of it, yes, we are equal. I think the armor could probably go back and forth. But the fact is, right, one has been placed in leadership. It doesn't mean that we're any, in any way weak or uh, subservient, but at some point, right, And by the way, this is mutual submission because there are times each one of us does what? This is your gig. This is your gift. This is what you're good at. You go for it, right? You can talk about the entire thing as the man being the head of the house, which is beautiful. And the fact is, yes, we step back. But I'm talking about everyday stuff. It is a mutual submission together. And the beauty is when it operates together, it brings life to everybody around them. If they had battled, I think the nation would have been devastated. And so you have this beautiful picture. They're going to come together. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework, okay, so that you can be ahead. When you come back, I want you to have read Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Because we're going to look at covenant, which is the Hebrew word berith, B-E-R-I-T-H, means to cut a covenant. It means um, covenant. It also means stipulations. But every time you see a covenant, you're going to see three things. You're going to see symbols or signs. Okay, so look for that in Genesis chapter 15. Look for the symbol or the sign. Look for a sacrifice and look for an oath. Okay? Because when we come back in the verse I just read, I'm going to show you the symbols. I'm going to show you the sacrifice. And I'm going to show you the oath between these two men. But find it also in Genesis chapter 15. And then if you want to be an overachiever, think ahead to how the new covenant in Jesus' blood is like that. Okay? So let's pray, and then I'll let you go. Lord, thank you so much.
um, for tonight. Thank you that we can just walk roughly through this story. Lord, we all face giants. Every one of us, there's not one person here that just has it made, that is just living through life without any pain or suffering or trials. And so we're all in this thing together. So God, first off, teach us how to take off the masks and get real. Because until we do that, you cannot begin to transform us from the inside out. We're not going to live phony baloney. And so God, I pray that as we do, we will remember that you did not give us a spirit of fear. And you have said in your Proverbs chapter 1 that, listen, wisdom is crying out in the streets. Wisdom can be found. So let us seek wisdom as we fight our battles. But Lord, do not let us be so afraid that we come out and retreat. We come out and retreat and we never gain victory. Help us to finish. Help us to follow through. Help us in your strength to face these battles and the lies that the enemy brings towards us. And God, let us know, give us clarity to know our why, no matter what. This is why I am doing what I'm doing. And so I will stay the course. And Lord, let us know that when people criticize us, when they question us, when they have their opinions. And God, I pray that we would learn from David that we choose not to fight with our brother, but we focus on the enemy. That when the bro our brothers criticize, we just say, okay, and we turn our face and we get back in the battle and we address the enemy. And God, I pray that you would give us victory over our battles. And Lord, I also pray that in this life that we will have Jonathans, that we will have friends that are willing to take off their image, that are willing to just strip down in front of us and be bare, not be the crown prince, but just be Jonathan, not try to, to uh, play some image on social media and uh, be admired, but that we would actually be truly known and truly loved. And God, I truly believe that's contagious. And so help us be women that take off our masks so that other women can see that they belong. Lord, I love you, and I pray that you would be so evident in our minds in this season. Because to be honest, Lord, that's what you did. You took off your title. You took off your robes and you came here as a child and you were so vulnerable and you knit yourself to us like Jonathan did to David. And so Lord, we worship you and we thank you, Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.